Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Oh. We did it. What do you got there? This was, uh, we had a recent mail call and uh, somebody included a couple of cans of... uh, Gin Gimlet from Venus Spirits. It's like a hmm. like a premix cocktail in a can. Pretty good. That Venus logo looks like uh, looks like money. It looks like the money font. Mm-hmm. It kind of is the money font. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's got Venus Gin Blend One with lime juice, cucumber, and natural flavors. Can you shave a woman's legs with it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is that something you're supposed to be able to do with a cocktail? Well, I mean, that the name, naming something Venus, mm. Mm. Uh, made me think of the shaving product of the same name. Yeah, I don't... Uh, I will say that this beverage is my Venus. It's my fire, my desire. I'm on a text thread with a couple of friends uh, from back in Seattle. And for whatever reason, like, lots of pictures are being traded back and forth. Like, yeah. random shit. Like, what we're up to... One of my buddies shared a, a fairly innocuous picture of a big bag of flossers, like those uh, those plastic flossers. <laughs> those ones like that have asking, a little have a little uh, like a little U shape, and then there's a bit of dental floss across the ag- yeah, across the gap. The kind you've seen thrown into the street and on the sidewalk mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm uh, very this, fastidious about dental hygiene, but no other kind of hygiene. And much like the the famous uh, nude man in a eBay sales ad for a tea kettle situation, <laughs> I noticed I noticed something else on the counter, and and when I clicked and enhanced, <laughs> I noticed what could only be the bottom of two personal shavers. Wow! And I was like, Hey, what's going on with those two personal shavers? And then that started a whole. A whole thing. One for the face, one for the nards. Was that the deal? I mean, no. I this friend of mine has two body shavers. Wow. Two for the body. Must be a hairy friend. I'm trying to think about which friend of yours this could be. <laughs> yeah, I think you know. I think you know which hairy friend this is. Yeah, I, I, my mind was immediately went to one person. The thing about personal shavers is they don't come like cordless drills with battery packs. <laughs> You know, you can't just slap another they another magazine the, in there to keep it, going. You get the interchangeable Makita. Yeah, <laughs> if you're battery. if you're a person of a of a certain amount of forestation, uh-huh. uh, you'll need if, to just switch to the backup peanut, uh-huh. <laughs> which is what this friend's got. Wow, a primary and backup Damn. peanut. I'll never have that problem. I have a corded peanut. But it's yeah. for shaving your head, not for shaving your your sack. That's just nasty, man. What the fuck? Yeah, you sick you piece sick of shit. Fuck. But I mean, so you're you're doing at home haircuts. That's where we're at right now. Yeah, we're doing at home haircuts. My wife cuts my hair and then asks me to cut her hair, and I say, 
Well, dear, I've had a couple of beers and a jazz gummy. Are you sure? <laughs> and she says, no, I'll do it myself. That's a hell of a combination, and I'm sure it keeps your hands very steady. <laughs> ben, I think, I honestly think I'm going to take off my headphones to show you here. I, I think it's been almost three months since my last haircut. I'm going to show you the profile view, all right? Yeah. Oh, boy. You've got, like, season one data going, going there. I really do, and that's the problem because uh, I'm pretty happy with with the uh, with the party in the front. Yeah, the party in the front looks, here. looks solid. The party in the back is just way too loud, Ben. It's like your neighbors in New York. They're, <laughs> they're they've yeah. got the drum set in their loft. You're and right. You can't even get their attention with with your broom handle against the ceiling. Here's the problem: uh, for at home haircuttery. You are committed to the idea of cutting all around. I could not just peanut the back. No, that would be bad. You, it's impossible. It can't be done. So I'm stuck with either growing the front and the back at different rates. Right. Where the, the consequence of this becomes, what, some sort of like Joe Dirt situation? Yeah. Or I actually commit to a haircut where I lose the party in the front and the party in the back and become... Uh, Joe number three guard. Mm-hmm. I obtained the peanut with the attention of, of becoming uh, Joe number four. And <laughs> I uh, made this I made this intention clear to my wife and we got in a great big fight about it. She did not want me to to go to a uniform short length all over. And she was so adamant about it that she insisted on giving me a haircut herself. And so we had the experience of me sitting there biting my tongue while she gave me a haircut. I think a quality about a professional hairstylist that often goes uncommented on is the degree to which they are expressionless as they cut your hair, right? Yeah. Like, you're having a conversation, you're talking like people... But a professional will not look like they're working particularly hard <laughs> to do a good job in a way that your wife would look like they are really trying in a way that right. has got to be very stressful. I think that uh, she doesn't have good bedside manner as a, as, a, as a barber, but I will say she did a surprisingly great job on the actual cut. Like, it's not professional by any means, but it's, um, it's not embarrassing either. I was about to say, I'm looking at you right now, and you do not look like a person who has endured a <laughs> at-home haircut by an amateur. Yeah, it, it just, it's just that it took like five times as long as a professional haircut, and also, like the kind of haircut I get is so different from the kind of haircut that she gets that she doesn't even have like the benefit of having seen it done by another person. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I had to do all of that. Like, uh, yeah, you, like, hold the hair between your fingers and you, like, look for the the yeah. bit that you just cut and cut everything else to that length. Like, that was, like, new thought technology to her. Yeah, that's scary stuff, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember the family friend haircut of my youth. I remember the, <laughs> the $8 strip mall haircut yeah. place by the grocery store that I grew up on. I mean, the consequences of of those cuts stay with you for a long time. I used to go to a, a chain barber shop in a strip mall near our house called Great Clips for Hair that was sailboat themed. 
that was a franchise up where I grew up too. Yeah, every every between every chair there was like a little like a jib sale <laughs> to divide to divide the different uh, stations. I I had this one barber. He cut my hair for like years and years and years. This guy's name was Joe, and he was like the big shaved bald barber. You know? Yeah. I mean, do you trust a bald barber? I trusted Joe. That's that's, that's the mock question. Yeah. He gave me great haircuts. You know, come to think of it, Joe Joe had a look not unlike that of Captain Benjamin Sisko. He was a uh, he was an African American man with a goatee and no hair. Well. There's a treat in store for us, Ben, I believe, as we uh, get into the episode of the day. Of course, that being Deep Space Nine, Season 6, Episode 19, in the pale moonlight. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. The rare Batman reference (laughs) In in a Star Trek title, right? Yeah. Who is the devil that we're dancing with? Q. I guess it's the Romulans. Always a game of chess with them. If we can hit that bullseye, the rest of the dominoes will fall like a house of cards. Checkmate. I expected Cisco's dad to be murdered in this episode, weren't you? <laughs> shot outside of his restaurant? I, I just could not believe that there wasn't a slow motion shot of pearls uh, bouncing on the ground in, a, in an alleyway. Uh, this is an episode that has discovered the Interatron, uh, <laughs> the episode inspired by all Errol Morris films everywhere. Yeah, it is Ben Sisko's Fog of War. and uh, It is. We talked about that episode where uh, Rene Aubergenois wanted to have, uh, you know, beaten Odo look like the vanquished samurai with the, mm-hmm. you know, hair hanging down in front of his face, and Sisko starts this episode, you know, with his action jacket open, his his uh, shirt unzipped somewhat, and he just looks devastated in that way. Yeah, he kind of plays strip storytelling as the episode goes on, <laughs> taking off an article of clothing with every return to his in-room narration, his yeah. in-room captain's logging. <laughs> he looks quite rumpled, and... Uh, you wonder where it's going to end, Ben. Yeah. Dong out. It's going to be a boudoir photo at the end of this. <laughs> so, uh, he wants to think back over the last two weeks and see if he can puzzle through where he went wrong. What do you think his drink of choice is? He's got that big Blade Runner glass out. Yeah. He's got He's got a bottle of a clear liquid. I don't think we've gotten a sense like all of our Star Trek captains seem to have a main drink. Right. Uh, a drink that you know them by, and I'm not sure if we have that trivia about Cisco, do we? I feel like there's a lot of Ractagino yeah. that gets talked about, but it doesn't. That doesn't feel like he lives on that plot. Like everybody lives on that plot on this show. This is an evening for booze. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'd like to think that he's he's got a nice smoky mezcal. That is a great big glass. Uh, a friend of mine for. Uh, for my birthday, got me these Blade Runner glasses. Cool, and they are they are super cool, but they are heavy AF. Wow, like, they're so substantial that it feels like you know how sometimes you like a, a nice piece of glass where you feel like it'll be fragile enough to break. This mm-hmm. seems heavy enough to break. Yeah. In, a, in just as easy of a way. Like if you drop it, it's 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 
terminal velocity, it yeah. will reach its terminal velocity in the like two and a half feet it has to get to the. Yeah, it's a no doubter that thing. <laughs> like it would make me fearful of washing it in the sink. Yeah, that's that's the most dangerous time for glassware. In that, in that sink basin. Yeah, got to be careful. So uh, he launches into this log. He starts talking about how every Friday he posts the death uh, within the Federation on a uh, on a big view screen in the wardroom. And so... It's Casualty Friday? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He deserved the title. I think that these characters no longer saying TGIF. They're probably saying something more like GDIF. Mm, yeah. <laughs> what do you make of Cisco's posting these in the wardroom? Like, can you just go in and out of the wardroom if you're an officer uh, whenever you want? I suppose you it's wouldn't e- want to put this on the opposite side of the of the mall directory on the promenade, right? right? That's no fun. Yeah. They post it right outside Quarks, so everybody's got a real bummer on when they go in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah, I mean, it's weird Like, it's weird to think about, like, oh, yeah, I got to go up and check the list of casualties. Shit, there's a meeting scheduled right now. Can't get in until 4.30. <laughs> yeah, you ever accidentally walk in on that McLaughlin group? Issue one. <laughs> uh, as it's going, because they've gone over on the meeting room? Yeah. Very awkward. That- Awkward backing out of the room. Sorry. I hated that aspect of corporate life, especially like when you're in the meeting. It's not your meeting to run and you're in there and you've noticed that it's gone over. And then you start seeing the people gathered outside wondering what the fuck. Yeah. And you're like shooting mind daggers at the manager (laughs) who's going over not realizing this. (laughs) Oh, God. Get me as far away from that as I can get. Guess what is the maximum amount of distance ever measured by anyone in the history of time? It's working that job, being in that conference room, and now (laughs) recording a Star Trek podcast. (laughs) We did it, Ben. This idea is kind of inception, right? Because it's Bashir that floats it, I think. The uh, they they're talking about like how a friend of theirs bought the farm, and they're like, yeah, some Jem'Hadar came across the uh, you know the Romulan part of the border, and uh, and took out the Cairo. And Bashir's like, well, if the Romulans came into the war, like this would be great. And and Dax is there to remind Bashir that for the Romulans, this is awesome because they can just sit back in the cut and watch the Jem'Hadar and the Cardassians and the Federation and the and the Klingons tear each other to shreds, and then when the dust settles, the Romulans will be in a great position. You know, the Romulans' urine is blue-colored. Most people <laughs> don't know that. Interesting, given the color of most of their beverages. <laughs> you could see how it is aligned with the human custom of drinking champagne or beer. <laughs> Whiskey, if you are particularly... <laughs> dehydrated (laughs) yeah it's interesting to hear this coming from him like and he's not wrong at all the roms are in a prime position to just lay back in the cut and watch the federation get creamed from a safe distance without getting their hands dirty i wanted a little bit to hear him address the idea of how this factors into the unenviable x-men calculus that the war is unwinnable yeah like yeah does it suddenly become winnable with their involvement yeah like, like, we had this one variable that we could never figure out how to flip the bit on, but if the Romulans come become Team Alpha Quadrant, it changes all of the math. 
would be a great reassuring thing to hear in a scene like this. Like it would, yeah. and it would help under it would help you understand like why Cisco would go to such lengths, right? Yeah, it's true. It feels a little unusual that this appears as though this is the first time that Cisco has considered this idea. Like yeah. it, it, it hits him like epiphany. <laughs> it sure does. It's uh, it's epiphanyized to commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cisco has been inspired to make this happen. That was the moment I made the decision. And he does a little bit of play acting with Dax in in a way to just sort of run a simulation about how a conversation would go between him and a random Romulan in order to, like, sell the idea of joining the war. I really like this scene. I like that Dax kind of slips into Romulan affect without... They don't, you know, they don't signpost it before she does it, and it's very clear what she's doing. Like, I feel like it's well-written and well-acted. Very good, old man. You would have made a decent Romulan. Yeah. Uh, And... She's channeling that Romulan vibe in a way that uh, I I didn't see coming. Her impression works, but the conversation doesn't. By the end of it, Cisco's like, yeah, you're right. This is going to be pretty challenging. Not sure (laughs) if I've got what it takes to make a convincing argument. The question remains, how do you convince them? The only solution they can come up with is you have to prove to the Romulans that it's in their best interest to be in this war with like tangible evidence that the dominion plans to fuck them over the issue is like you know if the dominion wins and it's not a like a pyrrhic victory where they technically win and destroy the federation and the klingon empire but are also so fucked up themselves that they can't project power into the rest of the quadrant that's great for the Romulans, but the scenario where the Dominion and the Gemini are just run roughshod over everyone else totally fucks the Romulans because it paints them into a corner. And right. they kind of need to persuade the Romulans that it's that second situation that is more likely. Yeah, and it can't just be a presentation. Appealing to their sense of logic and strategy doesn't appear to be on the table at all. There has to be yeah. a sort of proof of existential threat in in a funny way it kind of like makes it a harder sell overall because it's like yeah like this isn't that even of a fight like we are definitely gonna get our asses kicked unless you help us is not Mm -hmm. like the most (laughs) appealing invitation one of the qualities i really like about this episode is like so many plans the first idea is the most complex and difficult and then as the story goes on, like, Cisco as the decision maker has to, like, walk it back a little bit into something more attainable and then walk yeah. it back even more into something more attainable than that. <laughs> and that feels like real life. Yeah. I think it's a little bit above his pay grade that he's, like, he, a captain in Starfleet, has decided to personally draw the entire Romulan Star Empire I into the, the war. I felt the same way. The moment, he, <laughs> the moment he talks to Garrick and is like, I'm going to run this up the flagpole to Starfleet Command. I checked the time code and it was like halfway through the episode. <laughs> like that that train has left the station. Yeah. Like he's, he's asking for forgiveness at this point instead of permission. Yeah, we recently watched The Balance of Terror on uh, Greatest Discovery and like the fact that Kirk is constantly radioing, radioing home for approval just to cross the neutral zone is like yeah. such a, like that idea is so far from where Cisco lives. Right. 
<laughs> so not only is the idea that an attack on Romulus by the Dominion is the only thing that would convince the Romulans to join the war, they hypothesize that it exists. Right. And they also believe that it exists on Cardassia Prime and that their job is to go to Cardassia Prime and get it. So <laughs> a number of assumptions combined here. and They're setting up the road trip episode that we don't get. <laughs> nice to see Garrick back on the scene here. Hello, Garrick. I forgot you were there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when uh, when Cisco says there is somebody living on the station that specializes in getting in places that he isn't invited, I was like, who? I can't think of anyone. Right. And <laughs> when you hear Garrick say back the plan to Cisco, it sounds insane. Yeah. It sounds almost as insane as hearing Cisco say it. It's more like a suicide mission. Yeah, and sometimes that's all it takes, right? Somebody to uh, to recapitulate the thing you just said to them to uh, expose <laughs> what a bozo you are. It's like that stupid masterclass ad. Have you seen that? The one where, uh, like, one of the experts on masterclass is like a master interrogator. Like, use the <laughs> technologies of a master interrogator in the workplace. And one of the examples he gives is like repetition. He's like. <laughs> Use, use conversational repetition to get the upper hand in all business matters. And they cut to a, a scene of him doing it. And it's basically him just repeating the last four words that were said to him in a conversation. <laughs> that's what happens here. That's what, that's what Garrick does to Cisco. He gets yeah. the upper hand by just repeating the last four words. Garrick has been using this time for a lot of e-learning opportunities. Right. Garrick sort of pivots Cisco into another way of thinking. Like, if if only you were interested in spilling a little bit of blood, I have <laughs> a related plan that could sort of work to all of our benefit, if you'll only hear me out. Yeah, because Garrick, Garrick has, like, a few favors left that he could call in on Cardassia Prime, but he is, he's quite hesitant to, to do that when he doesn't think that it's actually going to work. Right. What he would like instead is to trick the Romulans. That's right, because it would take a lot of effort to go to Cardassia and get information that may or may not exist. Why would you go through all that effort if instead you could create this evidence out of thin air? Then you would save the gas on the road trip. You get to keep things close to home. You get to, to get a, a Romulan senator coming to your house instead of going to theirs. It's yeah. just much more convenient for everyone involved. The road to hell is paved with conveniences. <laughs> That's what they say. So the involvement of Senator Vrenak is going to be vital here because he's like he's known on the street as the guy who is the most hardline. Like this is his plan. His plan is to lay back and watch the world burn. And so what Garrick is saying is that if you can convince this guy that Romulus is in trouble. All the other bread boxes lined up behind him are going to fall like dominoes. Speaking of dominoes, a pretty major Federation domino falls in this moment. Uh, they get word that Beta Zed has been taken over by the Dominion. How could they not have sensed that coming, is my question. <laughs> I wondered what is happening with uh, 
with Laksana in this moment. Do we know whether or not a Beta Z can get a hit off of a Founder or a, oh. or a Vorda? Because Laksana spent a lot of time with Odo. Yeah. But she, I don't think she spent much time with a Vorda or a Jem'Hadar ever. Yeah, I don't think she could read Odo. But yeah. uh, it wouldn't surprise me if the Founders like coded that in genetically. Like if the Ferengi are unreadable... Especially with the alpha bread ones, right? Oh, yeah. you got to harden those guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Interesting that Beta Zed gets, gets brought up here without any of like the, you know, we know Betazoid characters and they're left in abstraction in this moment. Yeah, it's too bad. Cut to Beta Zed, I say. Yeah. Let's see those picnics in the park that they're known for. <laughs> yeah. Those, uh, those cum-filled leaves that they love eating. <laughs> So the plan is to show this senator a holographic conversation depicting the plan for this Romulan invasion being hatched. Yeah. But the thing is, these holograms have to be perfect. There's a technology involved, right? There's a, there's a rod. These rods are manufactured only as needed on Cardassia Prime. Information can only be transcribed on them once and then cannot be altered. They, they're going to do like the best forgery that has ever been done in the history of forgeries. Right. And, uh, and to do that, Garrick is going to need Cisco to call in a favor to Gowron because the, f- the only forger that he thinks is capable of doing this is currently on death row in <laughs> Klingon jail. I feel like the name Graython Tolar is like the name an eight-year-old gives his D&D character. <laughs> it, it sounds like so perfectly Star Trekian. I know. Name, right? I was kind of hoping that this was going to be a Klingon, and he was going to be like, I am incredibly talented and working in fine details. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got my first look at this guy, and I was like, is this one of those knee genitals guys? That was not his knee. Oh. That's what I thought he looked like, because he was, he was blue like him. He's blue like him, but he's also got kind of like extra loafy head the way those green guys in who mourns for morn right have yeah they look they look like cousins and then he's got those well we don't know where those guys genitals are no i guess we don't uh he's got those spots all over his his head and i wondered if those were scars from choosing his pain uh-huh. yeah <laughs> yeah you could see it this guy though he does not have the sort of attitude that would suggest a hardened criminal type. I've never worked for Starfleet before. He's interesting because he's a chill and pretty like pleasant character to be around. Definitely a white collar criminal. Right. I mean, he's like a dirtbag, right? Like he assumes that they busted him out of jail so he could make an incredibly detailed porno for Captain <laughs> Sisko. Right. Which is like a little worrisome about his level, like his intelligence quotient. But um, he was so excited about this plan that it, it's almost as if he had started it already. Yeah, he like in mid-flight, he was already like designing the the Orion <laughs> slave girls for the for the program. I feel like if you were the designer of a Hollow Suite program, much in the same way you and I worked as editors professionally, like you have you have a sequence that's already templatized for such a thing. Yeah. You already have four Orion slave girls dialed up, ready to go. <laughs> right. Yeah, you just, you, you, you launch the project and you've got assets that have already been pulled into it. Right, right. And you, 
you just start dropping transitions and stings onto everything. This guy is not on board the station for long before the hardenedness of his criminality becomes <laughs> evident, though. Yeah, because he goes and gets into a bar fight almost immediately with Quark, and he stabs him. Yeah, with the bartender. That's fucked up. Never fight a bartender. He was drinking Wayland bitters, Adam. I wondered if uh, if Wayland bitters are a thing you can get. Can you get Utani liqueur? There's nothing wrong with it. Maybe. <laughs> that would be good. This looks like a flesh wound in Quark's chest. Yeah. Uh, this looks like a nearly fatal stab wound that he's absorbed. I think they talk about a knife, but it kind of it kind of looks more like the the like break a bottle on the edge of the bar and stab somebody with it. This is classic bad bar behavior. We get a nice bit of storytelling by Odo cuz Odo tells Cisco what happened and what happened is Tolar got hammered. He tried to grab the ass of a Dabo girl. Quark defended her and then got stabbed in the process. Like maybe like the first unambiguously like, good thing that Quark has done on the show. <laughs> yeah, but this is a problem for Cisco because Tolar isn't supposed to even be there, man. Normally he'd be sitting in a holding cell, but he claims he's a friend of yours. He's no friend of mine. And if Quark decides to press charges, it means that administratively he will have been there, and that can't happen. So Cisco has to sit down next to Quark and work out some sort of arrangement where Quark would not press charges, and this takes a bribe. I was thinking about how often... It comes up that Quark is the one getting bribed. And it's not that often, but I do remember a scene in maybe like season one or two where Quark was in Cisco's office and Cisco said, like, you're going to do this for me or I'm going to start charging you rent on the bar. And I feel like that should just always be the leverage. Right. Yeah. But uh, but instead, Quark gets like a big payout. He gets his shirt replaced. He's He's coming up off this like this this was this getting stabbed business was great for him unfortunately this really diverts cisco's attention because now he's working with garrick on the repair of quark's shirt and this mission right it's just a lot for garrick to concentrate on the guy only has so much bandwidth you know back with cisco we get Another, and these are dotted throughout the episode, we go back into the current time and get more of him speaking to camera. And I I would say you either love or hate these scenes. If you did not appreciate the acting of Avery Brooks in Far Beyond the Stars, you're probably not going to be into this because (laughs) only Avery Brooks can do this, I think. I can think of no other Star Trek captain who could do an episode like this with scenes like this directly to the camera. And, and make them of the quality that they are. I mean, he's, he's monologuing here, but he's, he's 10 out of 10 every time. Yeah. I think like the first time I watched this episode, my brain couldn't even compute that he was looking at me. Yeah, you kind of looked away yeah. every time. Yeah. And I think that that's an amazing... It's amazing that it's taken them this long to discover this power he has, almost... You know what's wild about that is it's kind of a simulation for acting across from him. Like, think about how difficult it's got to be to lock into his attention when you're sharing a scene with him as an actor. Yeah. If you're already, if you're just feeling this watching the episode and the scenes where he's <laughs> he's acting to camera here. 
Yeah, it's f- fucking wild. Doesn't look easy if you can't even watch the episode, Ben. One of my favorite scenes is next because uh, Garrett gets on the lift wearing a flamboyant TNG season one security uniform. <laughs> it's kind of uh, it's kind of the Tuvix uniform in a way. It is hilarious looking. Yeah, it's it's good. Usually Garrick wears more layers than this, and you really get a sense for how jacked he is mm-hmm. as a as a character. Yeah, he he moves around a lot more in this episode mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. than he often does, and the shape of his body is uh, it's not what I expected. And the less I'm seen parading through ops, the better. You get a sense for how much power Garrick has over this circumstance because he. He tells Cisco that he's locked Talar in his quarters with the suggestion that his door may be wired to explode (laughs) if he attempts to leave. And also, like, in order to get this rod situation dealt with, they're going to need some biomimetic gel uh, in exchange. And we know from experience what kind of value is placed on this gel. It's not something that, that is obtained easily. There's one person that they can obtain this very special kind of honey stick from, and what they want is 200 liters of biomimetic gel in payment, which is uh, not really possible because the Federation does not release biomimetic gel to anyone. Uh, it's the best lubricant in the galaxy, and uh, letting anyone fuck that smooth is not in the Federation's best interest. In the conversation that he has next with Bashir, uh, Bashir's like, well, you've come to the right source for all matters liquid. <laughs> 200 is a lot of liters, but if this person is a real freak like me, that might be what they need. This is a great scene for Bashir. I'd like this order in writing, please, sir. Because he takes great umbrage with the idea of letting this controlled substance just go out to whoever... Yeah, and Cisco is not trying to hear his objections. Cisco goes goes all the way up to ordering him, and Bashir does the administrative protest moves that right. are available to him, but they are pretty flaccid. He basically doesn't yeah. want to get left holding the bag if this blows up, so he wants he wants the orders in writing, which Cisco has anticipated, and then he's like, "Well, shit. Uh, well, I'm also putting it in my log, then, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know." He's paper trailing it. It's like when you notice somebody is including a lot of details about when you last spoke in the emails and you're like, oh man. Right. <laughs> this is weak. Yeah. <laughs> Bashir's like, I can't give you all 200 liters, but I can give you 85 liters. And if you have to, you can just spit on it. <laughs> Dismissed. The next scene is them reviewing the forgery, which is a a holographic record of this conversation that never took place between Damar, some legate, and Wayun about quote-unquote stage two of the Dominion's plan in the Alpha Quadrant. And stage two is the turning on the Romulans and surprising them by invading them. There was like apparently an earlier version of this that that didn't work for Cisco, so he's given some some studio notes, and uh, now he's reviewing Data Rod version seventeen, final, 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 last one. Dot mov, <laughs> and uh, and he thinks it's probably good enough. 
I love the suggestion of the versioning, but I wish we saw one of the older, crappier run-throughs yeah. of this, where like Demar just and Demar being cordial with each other, <laughs> where their voices don't match up, <laughs> where there's like some uh, like. We're running into this a lot as we record the show remotely, like where you go out out of sync a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some little flash frames or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that'd be just fun. A, just a little editing mistakes. I mean, like, that's got to be a joke that's available to them, right? Like, they have to send yeah. these episodes to the studio for approval, I imagine. So it would have been fun to see them just, like, play with that a little bit more. Talaris at the controls in this scene. So, you are happy. And they both give him the the approval thumbs up. Go ahead and lock it in. Stick it in the rod. The idea with this rod is that it's like a, you can write to this one time. You can't copy what's been written to it. It's like a, a perfect one-time only archival record of something. So theoretically impossible to fake. And they're getting as close to perfectly faking one as as you possibly can. I love the moment where Talar is done and he pulls out the honey stick and hands it to Garrick and Garrick's like, I'm not touching that thing. Stick it in the box. (laughs) If you're ever given a job where the person you're doing the job for does not want to touch the thing that you've worked on, (laughs) that's a pretty bad sign of of the criminality that you've you've conspired in, right? Yeah, yeah. I I mean... I I kind of thought that uh, Graython Tolar should have like pulled out a hanky from his pocket and like rubbed the fingerprints off this thing. This is how Graython Tolar went to prison the first time by touching the rod. This guy's a fucking idiot. <laughs> make, yeah. Take basic precautions, Graython. He's kind of dumb. This is a scene that ends with Cisco like slamming Graython up against the wall because Graython's like, "Cool, thanks, guys. Off I go." And Cisco's like, "No, you're sticking around, bub. Like, we're gonna we're gonna make sure that this passes muster with our client before we let you go. And if you and if it doesn't, you're right back to like the clutches of the Klingon Empire. Kind of a lot is made at the end of the episode about how much regret Cisco feels about his actions. But it starts here, right? You never see him get physical with a guy out of the blue like this. I think yeah. it speaks to the desperation that really starts now." Right. Because, like, he has been really playing outside the margins to get this done and going out on limb after limb. Best intentions being save a lot of lives and, you know, end the war with a V for the good guys. But he's also, like, really gone outside the margins for it and uh, and is starting to act more like a gangster than a Starfleet captain, to be honest. Yeah. Like Avery Brooks is so intense verbally that to get that combination of his intensity, uh, both in a line delivery, but also in a throw a guy up against a wall kind of way, it's pretty scary stuff. Yeah. And the addressing the camera scenes, like, I feel like they started at like an eight, but now we're like past a 10. I feel like, I feel like when we cut away from this scene, he's like at an 11. It's what it's really when I started to get uncomfortable. There's a really neat scene next where Senator Vreenak's shuttle arrives and we see a part of the station that we haven't seen before because they go up to the docking bay and they await the arrival of this thing and we see the entire process. We see the door open, yeah. uh, something invisible come in, the door shuts behind and then like the airlock pushes out 
at the now uncloaked Romulan shuttle. It's a really neat sequence. It's super cool. It's Deep Space Nine's equivalent of the shuttle bay. And we right. see like a runabout parked in the back there. But this is like the other side of the wall for what, you know, when we see a, a runabout coming up on a landing pad, right. what, what goes on, you know, under that hole. And uh, yeah, like I, it's amazing that it's like late season six that we ever get to see the mechanics of that, and it's super neat. It's uh, I I was also quite excited to see it. Renak joins Cisco for a uh, a glass of the blue drink of illicit conversations between enemies. Uh, it's a conversation <laughs> that started out in the hallway. Where Vrenak really big dog Cisco quite a bit. My opinion of Starfleet officers is so low. You'd have to work very hard indeed to disappoint me. Yeah. He's like taking his time to come hear Cisco out, which is kind of amazing by itself. But he's also like doesn't want to let Cisco get the wrong idea that Vrenak is like considering him to be an equal. This is one of those like summit meeting type scenes where like two leaders of their people come together to chop it up and they and they talk about the possible outcomes of the war. Concurrently, Garrick has asked permission to board his shuttle, which you just sort of understand is happening at the same time while Vrenak right. is distracted by this blue drink. Garrick makes the case that he's going to go see if there's any interesting intelligence in the computer on Vrenak's shuttle surreptitiously because Vrenak won't be traveling with that many guards. This scene's also really interesting because Vrenak is they're you know, they're talking about like, yeah, we're in this cold war against each other and, you know, the Dominion winning the war could really be great for Romulus, but the other part of the conversation is about this this blue drink, this Cali fall that they're drinking, and Vrenak detecting the flaws in the replication of it, like talking yeah. about it being an imperfect facsimile of the real thing. Real cauliflower should forcibly open one's sinuses well before the first sip. Really foreshadowing his ability to detect a fake! Because we smash cut right into the hollow meeting and Vrenak watching it. I should say experiencing it because that's the way hollow meetings work. He's like mm-hmm. walking around mingling with the characters inside yeah looking up close at at uh Wei-Yun. and uh you know this is this is a pretty crazy piece of news for him to yeah. be processing that uh that they're about to get fucked over by these people that they thought they had a peace treaty with so he's yeah. like you'll forgive me if i want to subject that honey stick to a little bit of scrutiny and this is maybe the moment of greatest stress for Cisco, this intervening time between the moment he gives the honey stick to Vrenak and when he gets an answer right. as to whether or not Vrenak believes it to be true. What did, uh, I can't remember, what did Vrenak say about the honey stick? It's a fake. Pretty silly moment for Vrenak here. Yeah, I thought that it was maybe the greatest master strokes that the that the that the show has ever done to have Keenan play Cisco just for this one moment. <laughs> it's a fake. Uncomfortable silence. This I think the pacing of this episode makes possible this transition because we go straight from this crescendo, like we've reached this moment of great stress. Cisco's been found out. The honey sticks a fake. 
and we cut elliptically to like back at work a few days later. We never get the consequence of it's a fake in the moment. We never get the conversation that happens after this. We don't get Vreenak stomping off towards a shuttle. Right. It's just that's the end of that scene. And then we cut to the consequence later. I thought that was a really interesting choice that I don't think works in an episode that's paced differently. Right. You really are made not to think about that. It was a gambit that failed, except for that it didn't. Because the potential for blowback here, like the reason that you would imagine Starfleet would forbid a captain to engage in an enterprise like this is that like the Romulans now have every reason to side with the Dominion against the Federation for being duplicitous creeps that tried to trick them into a giant war that will result in millions of Romulan deaths. And yet, like, the the moments after Cisco processing that are, like, pretty optimistic. Like, we're back in, we're back at uh, GDIF and... You know, like they're like people are saying, like yeah, like there's like one casualty of somebody we know, but it like seems like seems like the death list is not as big a bummer this week as it is a lot of weeks. No, it sounds a bit strange, but I'd say we're off to a pretty good start today. And then uh, and then Worf comes in with some pretty crazy news. He's giddy, which made me suspicious right away. <laughs> he says that Vreenak's shuttle was destroyed. Senator Vreenak, he was returning to Romulus from a diplomatic mission to Sakara when his shuttle exploded. They believe that the Dominion is responsible. The Dominion assassinated a Romulan senator. On a diplomatic mission. That changes everything. It could even bring the Romulans into the war. He's like, guys, guys, guys! You know how when we're coming back from a conference, it's always super fucked up? Did you know that that can happen to Romulans also? Hey, Cisco, you know that sound you've been working on? (laughs) Well, listen to this. (laughs) Cisco does the math on why that would be and is in Garrick's shop punching him over a table in short shrift. The back of the hand punch. Yeah. Criminally underutilized in Star Trek, (laughs) I think. Uh, Yeah. Also got to be like one of the most painful punches for the puncher. It's like a belly flop where it's like, it is a funny joke at the expense of really hurting yourself. (laughs) It's also a very weak punch because you, you put no body behind a punch that you backhand like yeah. you get you get none of the of the force involved with with punching forward well you have to count on your victim to really sell it which Garrick does he goes flying over this table you see that table in the foreground and it's like seeing a wheelchair basketball team in a Michael Bay movie like <laughs> you know someone's going over that table bit <laughs> yeah and Garrick's like explanation is like yeah like i put i put a bomb that made it look like the jemhadar did this in his shuttle because we needed to guarantee that this worked and now like the romulans will find his dead body and they will find the damaged but still readable honey stick and the damage will cover up the fact that the honey stick is a forgery and now you've got exactly what you set out to do a war between the romulans and the dominion look at me I am section 31 now. I love how the reasons for Cisco being angry 
are so multifaceted, right? Because, like, let's talk about all the ways that he's angry here. He's angry that Vrenek's shuttle was destroyed without his express written approval. Like, he, like, this mission was done behind his back. Yeah. But also that he was party to murder. Right. But also that I truly believe that he's the most upset at his lack of control of the situation. Yeah, he's mad at himself more than Garrick. It's just that Garrick, he has, like, the ability to punish a little bit. Right. Garrick makes a pretty strong case about uh, the outcome maybe forgiving the method. And he sort of questions Cisco's ability to accept that. And if your conscience is bothering you, you should soothe it with the knowledge that you may have just saved the entire Alpha Quadrant. And when we get that final moment in Cisco's quarters of the personal log, we see how tortured Cisco is. Yeah. Before finally being not tortured at all about it. He reconciles himself with the truth of the matter and his instrumentality in it. Like it's a very dark idea and the idea i think specifically is in this case the ends are going to justify the means and that's an idea that i don't think you could do with a captain picard for example it suggests to me a question about whether or not ben cisco has broke bad because when characters on tv shows do this when they get a a taste for what's possible when you act outside of the rules of your job or your society or anything else uh, you don't just stop after doing it once yeah Uh, there's there's an addiction to an ability to get something done sometimes easier this way and so uh, that was the feeling that i had at the end it's like is this a Is this a new Cisco going forward? The Cisco that isn't afraid to to break a couple of Talars to make a Cisco omelet. You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it. It's an idea that kind kind of flies in the face of some of the things I really like about Star Trek, which is like, I don't think the ends do justify the means. I think there there are no ends, you know? Like, there are only means. In reality and you have to live up to your own morals and I think that this is a great uh, episode from an acting standpoint and very interesting episode from a storytelling standpoint but to me it's a little bit of a disappointment in terms of a like presenting the ideals of a better future I liked the episode because it's the needs of the many question like we've seen so many times but it's presented in a way where, like, this is Cisco's Spock box. Like, this is his warp core, you know? <laughs> like, he's he's going in and doing something awful in order to ensure the Federation's survival. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if all he has are those gloves. Like, he's willing to absorb the radiation of this mission he did. Yeah. So that So that the Federation can survive. And I really like how there is a parallel between those two things. I think you're right, though. I think there's no question that that this is, like, the darkest possible permutation of that idea, and it is an an idea that has been presented in Star Trek episodes and movies since the beginning, and you're only supposed to think of it in the most Roddenberryan kind of way, the nice way. 
the case I'm trying to make here is that it's not a manipulation of that theme at all. I think it it is exactly what it says on the box. I think this is just one of the versions, one of the many versions that you get inside that theme. I think it despoils the character a little bit, though. And like, if it, if this is the moment that he breaks bad and and learns the wrong lesson that breaking the rules is sometimes an easier way of getting to what you want, then that sucks, you know? Hey, man, I was already here with him after he fucked Mirror Dax and Mirror Cisco's wife <laughs> on the same day. If you didn't think this was this was predicted a couple of seasons ago, <laughs> that's, that's where he broke bad. He broke it off bad, wow. Ben. <laughs> Well, do you want to uh, do you want to uh, get into a pledge break, Adam? Yeah, we got to do that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income. Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, we have a couple of personal priority one messages here. The first one is from Officer Steve McKenzie, and it's. To J.L. Wallace. Message goes like this. up, buddy? The purchase of this P1 has forced me to pawn off my vintage, one-of-a-kind Jim Shimoda collectible card just to cover the costs. Wow. But it's a small price to pay for the countless hours of ridiculous entertainment, so I will learn to live with it because I can live with it. <laughs> I can live with it. <laughs> Here's to 25 more years of friendship. Wow. I think the more times you say you can live with something, the more clear it is that you might not be able to live with that thing. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're saying you're, that you can live with. You're telling yourself as though you uh, you need to you need to tell yourself a lot in order to believe it. Right. I have a question here, which is that Officer Steve McKenzie uh, spelled it with a G, G-Y-M, Shimoda. Right. Right. Is right. there is there such a thing as a Jim Shimoda collectible card? I'm wondering if this is a thing. This is a product made on the on the Jim Shimoda Facebook group because uh. I'm unaware of of a of a GYM Shimoda collectible card. Yeah. And if there were one, uh, I would be inflating that Shimoda bubble. <laughs> As we speak, you know I want to do that. <laughs> you you love you love to create a bubble wherever possible, especially in a pool. Right. Yeah. I love making bubbles in a in a jacuzzi. Then <laughs> nobody knows it's you. Adam, we have a second priority one message here. It is from Aaron, your wife, and it's to Peter, who gets excited when Ben and Charles Allen like his tweet. It was like this. Happy seventh anniversary. Shit hasn't hit the fan. No Riker hair or disheveled Janeway bun to signal trouble. I love our Riker levels of enthusiastic consent, and I'll keep things tighter than a real doll down there. (laughs) What? The Tans and I love you so much. Adam and Ben, the best tiki bar in D.C. is in our kitchen, and you are welcome anytime. (laughs) Is... I'm, I'm... A little confused about where the euphemisms begin and where they end in this message. (laughs) Uh, What tiki bar is Aaron referring to? I think Aaron wants us to come over for drinks. Okay. But I feel like it's pretty... It's pretty intense on the heels of her describing how she's (laughs) intending to keep things tight. (laughs) In a very specific way. 
Uh, wow. <laughs> a lot of enthusiasm in a lot of places in this message. Yeah. Uh, no, from Aaron, your wife. No seven-year itch for Aaron, your wife, and Peter who gets excited. Jeez, I that. think, you know, tell you what, I think Peter uh, is going to need some of that that nugget ice that tiki bars have. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, a couple of great P1s. If you'd like to get one, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, and you know what to do. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! This is the easiest Shimoda I think either of us have ever picked, right? It's a fake. I mean, this line read is incredible. I would watch an oral history documentary about this choice. Uh-huh. In saying it this way. It's a fake. Like, I would want to see the script and the script notes and whatever parentheticals were there. It's a fake. I want to sit down with this actor and really dig in <laughs> to why he did it like this. It's a fake. Everything about It's a Fake is amazing. And I'm not sure if it's uh, for the reasons that they would hope, you know? Like, I wonder if you're shooting this scene if if you see the humor in it the way we do. It's such a big choice. I think I think they have to have seen the humor in it. So is your is your Shimoda Vrenak? It is. Vrenak and the actor who plays Senator Vrenak in, in making the decision. It's like at the end of Best of Both Worlds, we rack into Riker and he's like, Fire! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because my Shimoda is Cisco for the the cut to react in this scene. The camera pushing in on Cisco, just bricking one, is unbelievable. Like, it's like, like it is matching big for big in a certain way. As soon as you add another vowel to the word in the script, you've got to be really sure that you have the performance right. Because I think, think of, think of the way we've seen climax in Star Trek forever. Mm-hmm. Like when, when you start chaining together vowels in, <laughs> in like, words. Like in the word con, for example. That's what I'm saying. Like you in, you increase the camp value of that line read like by an order of magnitude. With every vowel. <laughs> I don't think you see it a lot and I think there is a reason for that and it's and this scene is proof of it. Yeah. I think that you can be a little bit more colorful in your line read when Avery Brooks is going to be the reaction shot though. And his very true when 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 you see the implications of how fucked he is wash over him, it retroactively justifies a weird choice. Yeah, you're exactly right. When you do the math of it, it's what he's saying that carries the day and not the way he says it. It is a totally amazing moment. It's like one of the most amazing like two shot scenes in the entire history of Star Trek. Why did he take the honey stick with him if it was a fake i guess to show the rest of romulus what duplicitous jerks the federation are everyone's lucky he did yeah that's for sure one of the amazing things about making the greatest generation is getting to see all of the cool creative stuff that the friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. 
And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, Adam, uh, I think it is about time to determine what the next episode will be on this show and how we will be consuming it. So why don't you head to gach.biz slash game while I tell you about season six, episode 20, His Way. Odo receives lessons in romancing Kira from a holographic 1960s lounge singer. Gross. <laughs> I will veto the next episode, Ben. I'm using my one veto. 
We're skipping the next one. I uh, don't want to see it. Uh, you may be thinking of the TNG uh, portion of our program. This is uh, this is the Deep Space Nine portion of the program. And uh, you're saying you're saying I don't have one of those. You, you do not have one of those. And uh, Vic Fontaine, the lounge singer in question, becomes a very important character in Deep Space Nine, if you can believe it. I have no idea who this guy is outside of just, like, I've heard the name. Yeah. I've seen pictures of him, but this is, uh, yeah, this is DS9 I've never seen before. So, great. Really looking forward to it, Ben. You really, <laughs> you really sold me on the, on the idea. That's the beauty um, of the Deep Space Nine portion of Greatest Gen. I don't need to sell you, baby. This shit sell itself. Well, uh, one part of our show that couldn't possibly be screwed up is the game of buttholes will of the prophets uh where currently our runabout is on square 69 nice nice a uh, couple of squares ahead is a quarks bar episode and oh boy nothing at all after that so let's see what we got you're required to learn as you play roll got the die in my hand i'm gonna give it a roll and I've rolled a five. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Wow. Which has plopped us on square 74. Okay. Inching ever closer to a Mornhammered episode at the end of the game. Yeah. Still a few hazards ahead. There's that nth degree pretty close now. Yeah. We could be stuck doing research, Adam. We hate that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Fuck that. Fuck that shit. Well, regular old episode next week, and we like those as well. Um, another thing we really like is all of the friends of DeSoto who support the show on a monthly basis. It is the easiest thing to do. You go to MaximumFun.org slash join, and uh, it just dings your credit card or debit card or whatever. Make it a credit card thing. Get a get Yeah, some, get, get some airline get some miles rewards. out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, like, Capital One or somebody is offering a, uh, you know, 5x points on Maximum Fun contributions credit card. Right. So, uh, so you know, look around for that. Sign up for it. Uh, <laughs> and support your favorite uh, your favorite Star Trek podcast. And uh, we uh, really, 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 really need that support. It uh, does not get any easier to, to run the business that we accidentally started when we started Star Trek. Star Trek podcasting. Uh, so um, the the funds that you uh, contribute um, make that possible, and uh, and it make it possible for us to continue doing the show going forward. When you support the show, you are known as a friend of DeSoto, and two of our best friends of DeSoto come in the form of Bill Tilly. He's on Twitter at BillTilly1973. He of the comedy trading cards that you can find using the hashtag GreatestGen every week. Uh, Adam Ragusia, another great friend of DeSoto. He is the creator of our interstitial music that we use on the show, uh, which is a fun little riff on the main title music that we've used for years. That's by the great Dark Materia. Uh, yeah, and uh, if you enjoy the show, uh, you know, tweet about it. Go on Facebook. Tell people on Facebook that you like it. And uh, there are Reddit subs and Facebook groups and... There's the Greatest Gen Wikia. There are all kinds of great online uh, ways to to uh, have a more rich experience with the show. 
And uh, we encourage you to do them and not be dicks. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. Which you can't veto. <laughs> we don't have those anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what? Why did we? Why did we beat our swords to plowshares, Adam? What were we thinking? You know what? A, a listener can veto any episode they want. Yeah, they probably should. They have that kind of power. <laughs> yeah. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.